Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. All the women became invisible and I thought... This sucks. They have lots of ideas. I mean, I met with women every week for two years, just talking to them about how they had all these great ideas, but they felt invisible. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised L.A., and I created We Are L.A. Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of the show. Enjoy. Hi, this is Dave Whalen, Rebel 360 by day, bespoke strategy by night. I've been listening to We Are LA Tech pretty much from the beginning. I love the incredible range of guests and how Esprit makes such personal connections with them. I learn about business, LA, and myself with each episode. You can connect with me everywhere at DJ Whalen. That's D-J-W-H-E-L-A-N. Join thousands of people in L.A. Tech on our We Are L.A. Tech Facebook group where you can discover events, job opportunities, and even housing. Go to wearelatech.com slash community. We'll take you straight there. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Command Line Heroes is an original, highly produced, award-winning podcast about the people who transform technology from the command line up, presented by Red Hat. And this is not a technical show. This is a show anyone can enjoy, featuring experts from across the industry. Season four is airing now, so subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and stick around to the end of the show to hear a sneak preview of the brand new season. So I have something super vulnerable to share with you. I applied for two accelerators for my company and got denied from both of them. Huge fat rejection. I was super upset for a moment, like just feeling the rejection. And then I remembered what I learned from Laura when I interviewed her in Kazakhstan. And it was pronoia, that everything is happening in my favor, that everything is happening for a positive um, in my favor. It's the opposite of paranoia. I've talked about it in a spot before where there's a good reason that this happened. And so right away I was like, pronoia, I don't know why this is happening, but it's happening to benefit me and just keep on keeping on. And so um, I know that so many of us apply to things <laughs> and get rejected and it feels awful. Um it feels awful. It felt feels like, man, I'm working so hard. Why am I not getting recognized? I need support to make this happen. I have good intention behind it. I've put um, a lot of my own resource into this. Why why won't someone you know help me? Um, and all these kind of like like why me 
kind of vibes and statements, which aren't positive. They're very victim-y. And I don't feel like a victim and I'm not intending to be a victim. And that's why like, I really just appreciate this word pronoia because it feels like it gives me back the control over my own life. And it also makes things not as bad as they may feel because it's all about perspective, right? And so all I know, what I've learned from being an entrepreneur for so long now is two things. One, processes, processes, processes. With the right processes, that is way more important than any outside funding because you'll lose the funding in two seconds if you don't have the right processes in place. And so developing really strong processes leads to being a stronger team. It leads to better deliverables. It leads to more results. It it offers clarity, creates peace of mind. It saves times, processes, processes, processes left and right. And I've learned that you need to understand your market and how they value you and your offering and that what you have to offer um, can financially be feasible with how much they're willing to pay for it to make a profit. And then you just got to do the hard work, the, the process to do the outreach to make the numbers work. And if people aren't, you know, buying your thing or buying my thing, you know, then um, it just means it's not the right fit and and you try your next test and that there is no, because there's just, we get so many opinions, right? So many opinions left and right of like, what's right, what's wrong, uh, how we should do things in life and in business. And the truth is, we need to find what's right for us. I need to find what's right for me. Forget the us and you, it's me, right? I need to find what's right for me. And And then I need to do like a massive amount of experiments to find out what really works and what doesn't work. And then after those experiments, give me the answers. Then I'll know what to build more upon and scale upon. But like there is no magical crystal ball or treasure map. I mean, when I first became an entrepreneur, I thought Tim Ferriss had that treasure map, man. With his four-hour work week, I was like, if I read this and I highlight this all over the place and I take crazy amount of notes and I just follow this exactly and I read every Richard Branson book and do exactly as he did, I'll end up just like them. No, because I'm me and I have my own set of experiences and um, and I have my own thing to offer the world and to give to others. And I have to create my own journey. And sometimes that journey for me, a lot of times has been really uncomfortable. It's frustrating not knowing what's next. It's frustrating when things don't work out. It's frustrating when I feel like, oh, I just keep making the wrong decision over and over again. So I start to not trust myself. It's all frustrating. But at the same time, it's all about perspective, right? And the more I adopt empowering perspectives and teach myself empowering perspectives so they become more like a mental habit than than this thing that I'm striving to attain the more um support for myself I have like the more I'll enable myself to support myself more because sometimes like I feel like I'm my worst critic my worst enemy um my worst competitor is myself 
and I need to overcome myself to get to where I want to go. And the best way is to just have processes in place and do an insane amount of experiments and discover what works. And then that will give me the answers I need and the confidence to build on top of. Anyway, my little rant for the day. I hope you're having a great morning, day, night, wherever you may be, whether you're on the treadmill doing the dishes or just on your way walking to your next appointment. I just so appreciate that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast and I value. Remember to say hello on social. I look at everybody's remarks and I'll talk to you in the next one. Bye. I literally just waved at you as though you could see me. (laughs) Bye. We are back in Los Angeles today. So excited to be celebrating an incredible organization, an amazing woman making things happen in Los Angeles to empower women. This is a really exciting week. We are all in the tech world going to CES. If you're not going to be there, definitely be sure to tune in online. Check out what's going on social. Follow the tags. Today, we get to have an amazing, amazing organization that supports women in tech around the world, women in tech and women in business. And they will be with me at CES. So excited. The Consumer Electronics Show. Hello, Liz. Hi, we're going to be Women in Technology International Professional Organization in the South Hall. Our booth number is 201500. Again, 201500. Now, why do you think CES is important to the world of tech and just the world of of women in tech? Well, again, the reason CES is important to uh, Women in Technology International is because that's where things are introduced. So we know that AI is really important. We know that machine learning is really important. It's where people are seeing things, but also not just seeing them, they're having a chance to interact with each other. And to have a cup of coffee together, a glass of wine or whatever you prefer, and talk about how this particular thing can be translated if I add this little thing that I have too. It's an amazing thing. When people get together, they spark ideas and it's really magic. That's the meaning of magic. Can you give us some tips on what you think having a successful CES looks like, both for you as you'll be um, there with the booth or with uh, somebody just maybe attending CES for the first time? Well, here's the thing. Take a lot of breaks. The air doesn't yeah. circulate. <laughs> no. Bring water with you. Go outside, see the sunshine. But a successful CES for us is hearing women and people who identify as women and helping them find solutions to issues that they may have. And for us, that, that's success. And sometimes that involves just taking their card and getting in touch with them later. It doesn't always happen instantaneously. Sometimes you have to think about things for a minute. And I think people don't give that enough because our processing speed in our brain and our computers on our phones are so fast these days. Sometimes you do need to take a little time out and think about how is this going to work? To celebrate CES, we will be talking about Witty Women in Tech International today. We, me and Witty, will both be at CES. Very excited to get into this conversation. And so Liz, go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay, so I work for Women in Technology International, an international company, not just in Los Angeles, but internationally. And what we do is we help 
people who identify as women and we support them in their careers in technology. And even though people think we've had three waves of feminism, we've had all sorts of affirmative action, that women are equal in technology, it's, it's not so. It's only allowed us to relax a little bit more, and that's not a good thing. And when did you first get excited about technology? Were you a little girl? Was it when you were in school? You know, when I was a little, it's a funny question, because when I was a little girl, I always thought I'd be an inventor. And I wasn't. But uh, as I grew up, I became a camera assistant when we used to use film. And I was uh, one of the second or third women in the local, in the union. And I worked in on feature films. I worked on four Woody Allen films. And... I saw the internet in 1989 or 1990, and it blew my mind. I thought, there is no barrier to entry. You could create anything you wanted, any story. There was no studio that was going to stop you. There was nothing that was going to stop you. It was all going to be easy. And for a couple of years, it was. And for a couple of years, we got a lot of stuff done. And then studios and corporations started to see it as a place to make money. They started to see it as a place to make money and a place to, for people to advance. They all deserve promotions, but they didn't know anything about the technology. So I worked for a bunch of studios and I worked very early on for women in technology and then I, uh, international, and then I went away and then I came back. I had um, a company called Vidlet, which was video literature. Wait, this was your company? My company. You start, wait, okay, wait. You just like fast forwarded like crazy. How did you even know how to start a company? Did you always dream of having a company? How did you go from the world of supporting corporations and creativity to going to having your own company? The biggest thing I learned in college, and I thought you can't learn anything in college. The biggest thing I learned was if you can ask the right question, you can find the answer. So in other words, if you're not finding the answer, you're asking the wrong question. Mm. And so, Give us an example. So, well, now it's much easier because we have Google and Google helps you ask the right question. It gets rid of unnecessary words. But if I wanted to start a company and the company was about video literature, which was about book promotion, it was just at a time when the publishing industry had stopped supporting authors on tours so they had a little bit of money left over and how you fall in love with a book is sort of how you fall in love with a song someone sings it to you someone reads you a story at night it's very primitive it's really what we think of and so I would have authors read their stories and I put a little tiny bit of animation to it not so much that you saw it as an animated piece, but rather using the words as graphic elements so you'd remember this is a book. And it was a way to sell books. And that was great for a while. And then the publishing industry brought all that in-house and made trailers, which were not anything like what I thought I was doing. And that was a little disappointing. And then I went to work for JibJab. Yeah, Uh, JibJab was one of the coolest startups in L.A., JibJab was amazing. And tell us about JibJab, because not everybody knows what JibJab is. So JibJab was a technology, it was really a creative technology, in which you could put your head on dancing bodies or moving bodies and create greeting cards or messages or things like that. We did a lot of puppet work. We did a lot of original content. 
it, it, it's and it's still a great company. They moved on to do Storybots, and I was there for the beginning of that, and uh, that and, was fantastic. And tell us one one quick note is my friend sent me a jib jab for my birthday a long time ago, and it was something that made me happy forever. Like whenever I was feeling down, I would just play the musical jib jab, and it was amazing. Tell us what uh, the Storybots are. So Storybots are for kids, and it teaches them things about the world, questions that they have about the world. And it was a whole different process of creating characters, which was fun. And then I went back to work for Women in Technology International because women and people who identify as women really need support in a way that I never could imagine. I saw things where men would walk into a room and they would have gray hair and they could sell anything. A woman would walk into a room and have gray hair and all the guys would look down. Their, their eyes would cast down. They, they didn't want to talk to this person. They thought, this reminds me of my grandmother. She can't possibly have an idea. All the women became invisible. And I thought, this sucks. They have yeah. lots of ideas. I mean, I met with women every week for two years, just talking to them about how they had all these great ideas, but they felt invisible. And how were they going to get anything done? And could they get a guy to sort of front it and maybe that would be okay? That's not okay. It's not okay. You have to own what you're doing. So with Women in Technology Internationalists, we started to really focus on supporting women of all ages and people who identify as women and really giving them a chance to raise their profile, right? So that they're not invisible. And just so everybody knows, Women in Technology International also goes by Witty. So I'm sure you've heard of it before. Rolling it back just a second Mm -hmm. and then getting back into this dynamic place you are in today. What are the different job titles you had along your career? Oh my gosh, I had so many. I can't even remember. I started out as... um, a technician for Panavision. I was a camera assistant. I was a CEO. I was a creative director of News Corp at MCI. I, um, I've been a consultant many, many times. As a consultant, you're everything. And then when did you found your company? Was that after JibJab or before JibJab? Before JibJab. And, and tell us about that. Like, why make that choice to create your own thing? And then why move on from that again like what I had an idea I thought this was a brilliant idea I really love books I think that there I feel like fiction to me puts words to feelings in a way that you can't always do in other things sometimes you can in art and song right and I think that's really important especially now because people have a lot of jumbled feelings yeah yeah. but they need they need to put words to it so I thought that this would be a great creative idea. And the thing about creative ideas is you just, you can't do them in a vacuum. It's like a tree falling in the forest. If a tree falls into, in the forest and nobody hears it or sees it, it doesn't matter that the tree fell. Right, right. And so a lot of what I learned from Jib Jab, from Witty, from owning my own company is you have to market And I know that makes people cringe, and especially women. It makes women cringe because they think somehow that has to do with commerce and it's unseemly. But the truth is everything is marketing, content marketing. So what is the type of market 
what's the type of marketing? What's the type of art that's going to bring you to the audience that needs to see this or hear this? Not only that, it's something we talked about before we got into the interview. It's we have to be okay with allowing the abundance to come into our lives. Like I was sharing that I'm more of an artist than a business person. And the thing that I learned the hard way was in order to sustain a community and serve people, I have to have a financially sustainable organization. And so sometimes we feel, or at least I felt like, oh, I don't want to take. But then what happens after years of saying, I don't want to take and perceiving resource in that way of taking, really what you're doing is you're being selfish by not in empowering yourself to serve others. And so that's I, right. Yeah. You're, you are being selfish in the way that nobody can hear you if you don't have the amplification. Yeah. So if you don't have the money to amplify, it's one of the things that Witty does best is it will help. It helps its members amplify who they are. Right. Again, raise their profile. Right. And that's really important. And sometimes that involves money and sometimes it involves content marketing, which doesn't necessarily involve uh, money. You know, sometimes it's an exchange of an email. Somebody gives you their email address and you send them a piece of art. No, even this, um, this past week, I did my LA podcasters meetup, which is which is free, right? And, and someone wanted to contribute 10 bucks. And my normal instinctive reaction is like, no, no, it's okay. I probably even did that the first time. But I remembered someone who's a mentor figure in my life saying, just say thank you. Say thank you for empowering me to serve, you know? And so that's what I did. I said, thank you. This means a lot. Thank you for believing in the community, empowering me to serve. And I think it's just like switching that how we react to those or on the podcast a lot I have a lot of women will stop recording and they'll be like did you know I was just featured in entrepreneur magazine last week I'm like you went through a whole interview I'll tell you an interesting story about that I write I do um short stories and I published a book with a co-author Barbara Dovelman and when we first went to the publisher yeah the publisher suggested that I change my name, <gasps> that I only use initials. And I've heard this from a lot of women oh. because women don't sell as well as men. Interesting. And so if I used my initials, which would be E.R. Dubelman, it probably might have helped. I right. don't know. But that seems very fake to me. It doesn't seem right. It's it's not a good idea. The name of the book, though, yeah. and this is was part of the journey, was uh, called What Was I Thinking? 58 Bad Boyfriend Stories. Oh, my God, that's great. And that was part of the Vidlet series. So we did a bunch of Vidlets where we recorded women and had them write their stories about all their bad boyfriend stories. And their bad boyfriend stories were not about the moment they left or the moment the relationship ended, but the moment they knew it was over, even if they stayed. They could have stayed 25 oh. years, but looking back on it, maybe I should have left then. Wow. So we did a series and then sold it to Slate and then sold it to a book. That's and so cool. That's a very entrepreneurial thing to do. So the idea is you want to create art, but you need to be paid for it. And the reason you need to be paid for it is so that other people can see it. If you don't have the money to amplify it, you don't have the systems in place to amplify right. it. If you can't pay for email systems and all sorts of you know ways, ads and things like that, nobody's the people that need that message are not going to get it. 
you could reach that one person that it matters to. So we have people around the world listening right now. And what's so great about Witty, it's not just in law, even though we're in Los Angeles, it's not just a Los Angeles organization. Can you tell us um, how it could empower people and women around the world and what it looks like, like what that that flow looks like? Like, okay, I'm on the Witty website now. What? Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Can you tell us um, how it could empower people and women around the world and what it looks like, like what that that flow looks like? Like, okay, I'm on the witty website now. What? Exactly. So we have networks, we call them, and they're local. They're everywhere. So they're in India, they're in China, they're in Nashville, they're in New York, they're in Los Angeles. And those are events that you go to, career fairs or people that are lecturing. But in between all of that, there are webinars where we teach various things. You'll be on a webinar soon. Um, We have coaching circles in which you learn different things. The difference between a coaching circle and a webinar is a webinar is more like a lecture. So you go into a lecture hall, metaphorically, it's actually just a technology. Um, You go and and you give your speech, and then people ask questions at the end. This is virtually. Yes. Yes. A coaching circle, also virtual, is more of a one-to-one communication, even though there might be a group of eight people or something like that. Then we support all that with editorial. We have a lot of articles that are both written by outside people, but our most popular articles are written by women in the organization, their first-person narrative, their story. So exactly what you asked me, what was your journey? And those are the articles I love the most. Because they will tell you, and they'll be very upfront about it. They'll say, this woman didn't support me in this meeting, and I hated her for it. Then later on, we went out for a drink, and she said, well, I saw that there was only space on top for one woman. And then they got together and said, you know what? Maybe there's space for two. And those are the sort of stories that I love. So we have those. We have a summit that happens in June. That's probably our biggest conference. And it's every year. Uh, It's every year. And this year will be the 25th anniversary of our Hall of Fame inductions. And uh, these are extraordinary women from all over the world who have done extraordinary things. And they will speak. And it's it's just an amazing feeling. I was on the bus from the airport last year going to the summit with a busload of women who were all from one corporation who had never met each other. Because they don't have something in place in their particular corporation for the women to meet each other. They were so happy to be together. I mean, we were giddy. And what's Witty's mission statement? Well, to empower. What we really basically do is we give people a place to raise their profile. We support them. 
We give them a way to be recruited, to educate them for the things that they need to do, and retention. So in other words, if you're in one position, you're, you're there forever, and you yeah. need to, to get to the next level, to a C-suite level, let's say, for example. We help you do, do that sort of education that will help you. So we empower and we inspire. I love it. I love it. The The thing that I've really liked about Woody over the years is it's it's very um, accessible. Like when you go to a physical Woody event, everybody's very friendly and welcoming. And it doesn't feel like you walk in and you're like, oh, I'm alienated. You feel com- a completely inclusive environment. Yes. Which is great. We hope to be at our best, very, very supportive. We hope to lift you up. That's our job is to support you in the ways that you need to support you not help you because you don't need our help everything you need you have we just want to be there to, to amplify completely and you've had so many different um careers as you know what happens in life is that we discover different things what is one huge challenge that you've successfully overcome in your career and how did you overcome it I would say the biggest challenge I've had in my career, which I continue to have, (laughs) but that I am still overcoming is organization. Oh, yeah. Like processes. Yeah. Yeah. You need constantly. Oh, ditto. And and I try everything. And it's a matter of practice. Completely. So I have a uh, little side hustle that I do, which is called Digital Daughter. And I help older people with their technology. Oh my because gosh, so many people need you. <laughs> so many people need me, but they will only need me for a short period of time because, you know, they'll... And you're they'll, so patient. I'm very patient. And so that is the most important thing. If I can impart anything to, to a woman coming up, be patient and be organized. Those it's, are the best things you can do. It's so funny because I'm so not patient. Like whenever my mom asked me for, I'm like, nope. Don't ask me. I don't have the patience that's, that's to tell what, you how to But that's because she's your mother. <laughs> you, that, that carries with it a whole lot of other baggage. You know what I mean? Maybe so. But I do think it's funny. I'm like, Mom, I know who you can call. But the thing <laughs> Let is me she, get you a digital daughter. <laughs> yes. And the thing is, if you teach her and she practices, those are two different things. Yeah. How to use Google. Yeah. You don't need much more than that. If you say, Google, how do I find... Apple TV. Yeah. Uh, you can find the answer. Totally. It's just that they get very confused with the words. You know, one of the funniest things is on an iPhone, the icon, about constantly explaining what the icons are because yeah. icons don't make any sense. Yeah. So, what, so the icon for uh, voicemail right. is actually supposed to be a reel to reel tape recorder that you would think they would know. It never looks like that to them. It looks like Mickey Mouse ears. It looks like eyegla- upside down eyeglasses. So you just have to you know, really be patient and say, no, we've been through this before. This really is what the voicemail icon is. And they'll always ask, but why? <laughs> and you can't really answer that. And a couple last questions. One is where can people find you online? Are you on LinkedIn? Oh, yeah. Can totally. you spell your name for everybody for LinkedIn? Yes. Liz Dubelman. D as in David, U, B as in Bear, E-L-M-A-N. And where can they find Witty online? Witty.com. W-I-T-I.com. And we're going to be at CES in the South Hall. Also, you should feel, you out there in the world, should feel free to get in touch with me because... Um, 
because I edit the stories for that go on witty.com and I'm always looking for stories and you, you don't, you don't have to be a female or identify as a female, any story that you could tell me I'm interested in. And don't be reserved about it. I find a lot of times just as people, we feel like I'm not enough. I'm not ready. I'm not seasoned enough. I'm not expert enough. I'm not perfect enough. Just walk through the door of opportunity and let someone else say, you know what, this isn't the right fit. Don't stop yourself before you even open the door. I'm great at drafts. Write a draft and send it to me. I'm great at drafts. (laughs) And what is your favorite book, personal or professional? What would you say is your favorite book? Well, well, you know, I'm a big fiction reader. So my the book that changed my life, and this is going to matter to nobody at all out there, is Ask the Dust by uh, John Fonte. And he was a Los Angeles, more or less a Los Angeles writer. And he wrote very uh, simply. And when I read his stuff, I thought, I can write. That's Just because every word counted. It was the economy of words. And what was it about? (laughs) It's a long story about a about a writer who moves to Los Angeles and has no money. Um, And it takes place in the 30s. Um, But the point was, he was so good at language. You don't need to, you don't need to embellish a lot. You just need to cut it down to the really basic, 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 as long as it expresses an emotion. And that's the most important thing. And we'll include it in the show notes so everybody could find it. And very last question, and it's actually my favorite, one of my favorite questions is what? Oh, I have two last questions. Two okay, last questions. <laughs> um, what is your favorite tech tool? I'm so nerdy about that. I love tech tools. My current favorite tech tool. It could be mobile app, no, website, yeah, yeah. But it's a website. Yeah. Is Ask the Public. I don't yes. Know. Yeah? No, isn't it Answer the Public? Uh, answer the Answer the Public? Is it Ask the Public or Answer the Public? Are you talking about the one where you could find all the keyword phrases? Yeah. yeah, Answer the Public. Answer the Public. Yeah. I love Answer the Public. It's so great. Well, you describe so, what it is. Okay, so it sort of scrapes, more or less scrapes Google, more or less in real, real time. So let's say you have a company that sells shoes. You can put in the word shoe and it will tell you what people are searching for around shoes. Totally. So and it and it's very graphic. You don't have to have it be graphic, but I like the graphic element and it teaches you what you should what people are searching for so this is what you should write your blog about. Totally. Cuz people are looking for warm shoes in the winter, let's say. Totally. Then after you sell them the shoes, then you want to go back to the same service and put in my shoes because now they've bought the shoes and they want to know what outfit to wear it on. And it goes on and on and on. Like yeah, that. it's the it's the best, not just blog posts, Instagram posts. I mean, anything that you want to create, it, it's essentially an oracle of telling you what people want to discover more about. Exactly. Yeah. In your particular area. And it's very important also because not just for that service, but it, it makes you more empathetic. It puts you in the shoes of the person that's doing the searching. Yeah. And we'll include it in the show notes. I happen to have a pro account. I don't really I wish I did. <laughs> I don't really know why, because it's free and you get so many you great features. Three, I think you get three searches a day free. And then Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. So that's why you Oh, have you used to have unlimited. No, it used to be unlimited when it was in beta. It was oh, unlimited. Now okay. you have three free, but so that's okay. why every month I'm like, bah, bah, it's so valuable, whatever. But I never knew, so now I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite, my current favorite tech tool and 
it's hours of entertainment for me too. Not yeah. just, not just, it's useful, very, very useful, but it's also entertaining. Oh, and one last thing about it, as you were talking about the visuals, they do have these gorgeous visuals. So if you do work with clients or even with your boss, if you want, or even your team, if you want to simply impress someone, just type in a keyword and then export the visual version. And you are so impressed by your hard work, but really it's just pretty and they, design. And they encourage it. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, because it, it sort of gradates, you know, how how many people it's the, the darker the green is, the more people that are sort of hitting that exact topic. If you then click on that topic, it actually gives you all the searches. Makes it more granular. Yeah. It's so great. And the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten. I, I think I said it before. The best piece of advice I ever ha- I, I've ever received is if you um, want the answer to a question and you can't find it, you're asking the wrong question. So you need to really think about what is the answer I'm looking is is this the answer I'm looking for or is there a real answer? I love that. And that's that. Did you say it was your boss or it was in school? I can't remember. It was remember. in college. I it was in to, college. I yeah, went yeah, to yeah. Hampshire College. It was so. in college. Yeah. I remember. You, yeah, that is a good one. I love that. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that we haven't covered yet? Here's really the thing I want to say that the most important thing is to listen to each other. We're so bad at it. We, we sit in our little bubbles. We shoot out emails, which are like the worst And we don't listen to each other anymore. We don't talk to each other. We just don't listen to each other. And email is very bad for that because little ideas fall off the top of someone's head and they expect somebody else to come and sweep it up. That's not a conversation. You really need to have a conversation with real people. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. You've been awesome. If you want to connect and collaborate with more awesome Women in Tech, remember, go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. We'll take you straight there. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Hey there, it's Liz Dubelman, Editor-in-Chief of Witty.com, Women in Technology International. Our mission is to empower women worldwide to achieve the unimaginable possibilities of transformation through technology, leadership, and economic prosperity. I'm in Santa Monica, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. I'd like to tell you about an all-new season of Command Line Heroes, a podcast presented by Red Hat. No one ever said hardware was easy. In Season 4, Command Line Heroes is telling seven special stories about people and teams who dared to change the rules of hardware and, in the process, changed how we all interact with technology. In the world of modern technology, we open our laptops, scroll endlessly on our smartphones, send tons of data to the cloud, and we don't think twice about it. But have you ever wondered how we got to now with our personal devices? And what it took to get here? There was this blue box on a table. And he said, well, here it is. I said, well, what is it? He said, it's a microcomputer. What it took were teams of engineers and programmers who had the vision and audacity to build new machines. These machines, they revolutionized our lives and blew the doors open to what was possible. How many people here had a computer versus how many people intended to get one? Only one or two people actually had them. And they would bring them to the club meeting. What are you going to do with it? 
and nobody had an answer. The key thing about time sharing was that the computer needed some way of being able to sort of stop its own clock. The uh, creators of the floppy drives are not household names by any means. If it wasn't for that, PCs would have been adopted much more slowly. This January 28th, we launched season four of Command Line Heroes, an original podcast from Red Hat. And this season, it's all about the hardware. We'll hear the stories behind some iconic machines and the people who dared to create them. I was the kid that always took things apart, took my older sister's toys apart. This is just another bag on the side of the eclipse, a skin job. Nope, this is a whole new machine. The process of passing the tapes around and encouraging and building upon each other's results is really what made the personal computer industry. We're exploring mini computers, mainframes, the first personal computers, floppies, early smartphones, and game consoles. And we're also going to hear how the community ethos that drove those early hardware heroes to build those machines still exists today in the open source hardware movement. The values of sharing are still there. I mean, it's in the entire open source community. The machine, in a way, was kind of a bit character. It was the people who were the real guts of what it was about. I'm Saranya Barak. Join me for an incredible new season of the podcast. And keep on coding. So thank you, and uh, eat your sandwiches. Season four is airing now. Subscribe to Command Line Heroes today, wherever you get your podcasts. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Adam Carroll. Show notes by Carl Marty. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.